Well, hey, let's jump to the message today as we continue uh, our study through the book of Philippians. This is our last week as we, we wrap up our study in this book of Philippians. We've been in this study since September, and uh, we're wrapping up our series, Squad Goals. And uh, if you're new to Central, man, you've picked a great weekend to jump in as the Apostle Paul closes out this letter, writing to us about something we all desire in our life, but often eludes us, and that is contentment. Paul would write this. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter four. We're gonna be looking at verses uh, 10 through 23 today as we close out this book. Or you can pull up uh, the verses on your version app on your phone. Or if you have the, the Central Christian Church app, our notes, my notes are all on there. You can follow along and, and email those to yourself or upload them to Google Drive. You can follow along that way. Or if you're watching on our live platform, the notes are available for you there as well. Well, here's what we know about Paul as he's writing this, this letter to the church of Philippians, just to bring us up to speed. Uh, Paul has been in prison for four years. He's been unjustly accused of some things, and he's, he's caught in the midst of this political power struggle in Israel. So he's, as a Roman citizen, as a right of every Roman citizen, to appeal to Caesar. So Paul has appealed to Caesar. He's waiting to have his case heard before the emperor in Rome. And while he's waiting, he is in prison. Paul is a man in in chains for four years. And yet in the midst of those horrific circumstances, the midst of chains 24-7, Paul has joy. Not only does Paul have joy, but Paul has contentment. Some scholars believe that up to this point in the book of Philippians, Paul has been uh, dictating to Epaphrodites what to write on uh, th th this letter of Philippians. He's been, been communicating orally these words to, to, to the Philippian church uh, up to this point. But now it's at this juncture. Now it's at, at this point in the letter where Paul picks up the pen. He picks up the quill and he writes in his own hands this closing section in the book of Philippians, which really is a thank you letter to the church to say thank you for their support. And he updates them and he gives them instruction of his, his current state of contentment and instructs us, you and I, on how we too can live a contented life. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter four. We're going to pick it up in verse 10 and we're just going to read the entire section of scripture and then we're going to unpack it, study it verse by verse. But here's how it starts. Uh, Philippians Chapter four, beginning in verse 10 says this. It says, I rejoice in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. Read these red words out loud with me. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Uh, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of my acquaintance with the gospel, uh, when, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that you have received, now I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
They are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Read these words with me. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Well, this is the word of the Lord for us today. And as Paul's writing this thank you letter, he leaves us with what what is one of the most prolific passages in all the Bible on this Christian virtue of contentment. Contentment, living a contented life, it should be a character quality of everyone that is a follower of Jesus. Paul would write this in 1 Timothy 6, 8. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. What Paul's saying here isn't that if you have food and clothing, then then that should be enough, although you could read it that way. What what Paul is actually saying here is that that our contentment isn't found in material possessions. He's saying that that no matter how much stuff you have, if you think you're going to find contentment in stuff, you're going to be disappointed. Hebrews 13.5 says this, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Whatever you have, some of you have a lot, some of you have a little, God calls all of us to be content. Whenever God gives a command like this, a couple of things are important for us to understand. Uh, The first thing that's important for us to understand is that it is possible for you to do it. If God calls you to be content with what you have, then you need to know that the Holy Spirit desires to empower you to live a contented life, live content with what you have. Second thing we need to understand when God gives us a command like this, when he, he lays out in scripture, here's a Christian virtue that should be true of you. He lays it out for your good. He lays it out because it's, it's for your benefit. He lays out this, this virtue of contentment for you and I to embrace today because he knows the abundant life, the full life, the life he desires for you to live is found when we discover a life that is content, content with what he has provided. God desires for you to live content. Paul would write this. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. Why why would he say that? I think in Paul's day, living a contented life eluded most people. I think if we were to survey the landscape of society today, we would say we live in a very discontent society. I think many of you who are watching this today, perhaps it could be true of you that you, you have not yet discovered the secret of being content. And as Paul's going to lay out for us, he he discovers how to live a contented life. He's going to teach us how to live a contented life. And my prayer is that you take hold of this because the contented life is a life of joy. When when you find contentment, then you find peace. When when you find contentment, you're not torn 25 different directions. When you find contentment, you no longer live a double-minded life. You live a life laser-focused, To live contented is something that we all desire. And a contented life is is a life that allows our soul to breathe. We all want that kind of life. So how do we discover it? Well, Paul lays out six keys that I want to unpack with you today. Six keys to the secret of contentment in your life. The first key is this. Uh, the The first key to contentment is to value people more than possessions. 
One key to contentment is, is, is healthy relationships. One of the keys to contentment is loving people more than we love things. When a person loves things more than they love people, inevitably they'll use people to acquire more things. But when a person loves people more than they love things, inevitably they'll use things, they'll use possessions to build up people. There's nothing wrong with, with having things. We all, we all enjoy things. The problem comes whenever things start to possess us. When, when, we, when our goal is to possess more and more things, when people find themselves caught up in things and, and desiring things to possess, they find themselves living an empty, discontented life. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 4, verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last you have renewed your concern for me. When we first read this, it, it almost sounds like, finally you're concerned about me. Uh, you didn't even care about me, but now at last you, you actually value me. But we know that's not true because of the next verse. He says, indeed, you, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Here's what Paul is thanking God for in these, these verses. He, he values relationship more than possessions. He's saying, he's saying yeah, 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 sure. I, I appreciate the gift you gave, but more than that, it's just great to hear from you. It's just great to know that, man, you, you're concerned about me. When we don't have healthy relationships where we, where we have other people's back and we know they have our back, life is disjointed. Life feels disconnected. Life is very, you can't find contentment in that type of life. Uh, Harvard conducted one of the longest studies in human history on contentment. They, they conducted a study on life satisfaction. They began with the, the sophomore class of Harvard in 1938. It, Kennedys were a part of this initial study. And over time, they, they woven more people into this, this contentment study on life satisfaction. So you got Kennedys who have this name, they have prestige, they have wealth. They also enveloped inner city people, who, street people, people who, who had no possession, no influence, no affluence. And here's what they found. You, you can look this up. It's an interesting study done by Harvard. But here's what they found. And here's, here's a quote from that, that article. They said this, close relationships more than money or fame are what, are what kept people happy throughout their lives, the study revealed. Those ties protected people from life's discontents help delay mental and physical decline and better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, than IQ, and even genes. The findings proved true across the board from both Harvard men and inner city participants, end of quote. In other words, valuing people over possessions is fundamental to living a contented life. And the Bible unpacks us at every turn. Uh, that's why around here we talk about groups. We talk about not doing life alone. We talk about life's better together. Life's a team sport. Why do we say that? Because it's true. You'll come alive. You'll find contentment when you find healthy relationships where you can let down the guard and say, this is who I am. In the midst of letting down your guard, you know they have your back. You know, you know they're not talking about you behind your back, but they have your back when you're not around. That's when we find life satisfaction in context of those healthy relationships. So man, 
being a part of group is, is foundational to that, to have a group of men and women that you can journey life's ups and downs with. That's why we talk about serving together. Yes, on one hand, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as followers of Jesus, we live a life of service because we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps. But beyond that, it also helps us live a contented life as we serve in the trenches with people on this mission to help people find and follow Jesus. So I hope you're in a group. I hope you're on a serve team. And if you, you live in a community that's far away, you're not even close to San Jose, I hope you have close friendships because that is where the contented life is found. People are important. There's nothing wrong with having things, but when our pursuit of things becomes the driver of our lives, we're in trouble because inevitably we'll do things to fill our calendar just to acquire more stuff and sacrifice relationships in the process. One of the keys to a contented life is time blocking that which is most important. To, 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 to not allow things that are urgent to supersede that which is most important. And so time blocking in your calendar for relationships with family is important. Your, your family relationships, if you have, that's your first ministry, that's your first call. How are you doing in that area? Are you time blocking? Are you making investments? Are you intentional with that? Are you time blocking for relationship with friends? It's important. It's where the contented life is found. People are less concerned with possessions you can provide than the memories and life you create with them. The second key that Paul lays out is the key to a contented life is understanding possessions are not the key to happiness. Now, I know at first earshot, this sounds very similar. On one hand, people are more important than possessions, but we also need to understand that possessions are not the key to happiness and how, how often we miss this. Philippians chapter four, verse 11 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Uh, Paul's saying, I, I, I'm not saying it's, it's thanks for the gift. He's saying, man, it's just, just great, to, it's great to hear from you as we've, we've seen. He says, for I've learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. What he's telling us is I, I don't need possessions to be happy. My contentment isn't based on what I have. My, my contentment, I've learned the secret of being content no matter what my circumstances are. Paul's in prison. He has none of the creature comforts that you and I enjoy on a daily basis. And yet he has contentment, which highlights for us the contented life is not based on creature comforts. Again, there's nothing wrong with possessing stuff, but life gets inverted when stuff start, starts possessing us and, and starts consuming our, our lives. You can have very little and yet allow your possessions to consume your thoughts and your mind. You can have a whole abundance and yet, yet not allow the abundance to consume your thoughts. It, it happens to the poor. It happens, happens to the rich. Either way, we have to guard against that our human nature apart from God is wired to do the opposite of what brings us life. We have to guard our hearts, especially in this area of our life. I think especially here in the Bay Area. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, he said be, beware, like, like here's a warning. Be very careful in this area. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Our, our natural tendency, the gravitational pull of life pulls us this direction, beware. And he warns us that life is not measured by how much you own. 
Listen, society says the more you have, the happier you'll be. That's not biblical. That's not Bible. Jesus said, life's not measured by how much you own. If you're looking for contentment in what you own, you'll always be disappointed. Be very careful. John Wesley said this. He, he, there's nothing wrong with earning great wealth. He, he, here, I love this quote. He says, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's a great formula to live by. There's nothing wrong with earning a lot of money. The more you earn, the more you can give. Money in and of itself is not bad, but the Bible warns that the love of money is the root of all evil. How do you know if you're in love with money? How do you know if like, man, I think my life, if the more I acquire, the more I'll be happy. You, you can just measure that. How are you doing in that area? By your generosity. How are you doing in this area of giving? If, you're, if you're, you lack in that area, then maybe you whether you acknowledge this or not, you would say, man, I live from a posture that says the more I attain, the happier I'll be. Philippians 4, verse 11 through 12 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned the secret to be content in every situation, in all circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. Paul's saying, hey, I know what it is to, to live life without knowing where my next meal's coming from. I know what it's like to be in need. In, in context, in the original, it's, it's not just that he knows what it's like to be without. He knows what it's like to feel like you're a beggar. I not only know what it's like to be in need, I know what it's like to be treated like I'm in need. But, but not only that, I, I know what it's like to have plenty. It's believed that the Apostle Paul came from a very wealthy family. He has Roman citizenship. His, his, his education speaks to his pedigree. He, he was educated by, by Gamaliel, this high-ranking like, rabbi of his day, this prolific man. He was taught as a Pharisee. This, this is an elite class. It's like he went to Harvard and he was trained, mentored by the, the highest-ranking professor at Harvard or MIT, or whatever comes to mind. That, that's the apostle Paul, very affluent. He's saying, hey, I know what it's like to eat sardines out of a can, and I know what it's like to eat lobster tail. And he's saying, I, I can eat both of those, and I can still be content. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul's saying, this isn't something that came natural to me. I have to, I've had to learn this. This isn't something that, that just through discipline and, and this innate character quality, I figured out. No, he's saying, I've had to learn this. I've had to grow in this. I've had to learn the secret of being content. I think this is a lesson that we have to learn over and over and over in our lives. I was having lunch with a, a guy in the central family this week and his name's Tim as well. And he said, he said, it's funny. Sometimes we feel like we graduate from something and then God re-enlists us in the class. Listen, I think this area of contentment, this, this area of learning to be content in any and every circumstance is a class that we often get re-enrolled into. We have to relearn this over and over throughout, throughout our lives. And as we take inventory of our life, are we content with what God has provided? Have we learned the secret of being content in any and every situation like the Apostle Paul talks about? Can I suggest to you that if you think once you get that thing, whatever that thing is, new car, new house, whatever it is, that if you think, man, once I get that, then I'll be happy. If you think that way, then contentment will always be an illusion for you. It'll be grasping the wind. It'll always elude you. 
You can buy the house, you can get the degree, you can get the job, you can get the new car, you can get the spouse. But if you think obtaining that thing will suddenly make you content, prepare for disappointment. Because when you get that thing, I'm saying from personal experience, you'll just want something else. We have to understand that possessions are not the key to happiness. The third key to living a contented life is to remember your relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember your relationship with Jesus. Paul would write this in Philippians chapter four, verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The, the New King James Version puts it this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul's saying here is that being content in any and every situation isn't based on my own self-discipline. It's not based on my innate character qualities that I possess in and of myself, but I've learned the secret of being content and it's found in Christ working in me. It's found in Christ working through me. He realizes that his life is linked. It's intertwined with the power of Christ. And Paul finds contentment there. Paul's saying, my life is linked to Christ. Where my power ends, Christ's power begins. Therefore, as I navigate seasons of hunger, therefore, as I navigate seasons of abundance, I navigate them with joy. I navigate them with contentment because the source of my joy, the source of my contentment is in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, let me say this too. Th this verse is often quoted in all kinds of circumstances, in all kinds of situations, especially in sports. Uh, I'm a sports guy, so I, I hear this at football games and basketball games. I see this written on players' shoes. And on one hand, I'm like, that's a beautiful thing because there's nothing wrong with people memorizing and regurgitating the word of God. That's beautiful. But, but it's out of context if for me, as a six foot six guy who's about 300 pounds, if I say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, therefore I'm gonna be a jockey in the Kentucky Derby. That's my goal. Listen, I'm not wired for that. I'm not, my frame isn't built for that. And so rather than me saying, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, therefore I will race in the Kentucky Derby, a more accurate understanding of this passage is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Therefore, I will be able to find joy and contentment in the midst of not being a jockey in the Kentucky Derby, even though that may be my goal. You see the difference? But Paul's saying in the midst of lack, when I'm in poverty, when I'm hungry, when I'm tr treated like a beggar, in the midst of being treated like royalty, when I have, I have a silver spoon, I get everything handed to me. Oh, I can, do, I can do them both. How? Through Christ. In the midst of disappointments, in the midst of victories, my hope is anchored in Christ. Remember your relationship with Jesus Christ. It strengthens you. Remembering, knowing Christ Remember, our goal, our ultimate squad goal is just knowing, knowing Jesus, being more and more like him. The more you become like Jesus, the more satisfied you become in life. The more you become like Jesus, the more you experience the abundant life. The more you know him, the more you, you go deeper in your relationship with him, the more you align your life to the lifestyle of Jesus, the more you come alive. That's where contentment's found. Paul, I've learned the secret. I can do all things. How? Because my life is connected. My life is intertwined. With Jesus, this is really a, a declaration of how intertwined his life is. It's a declaration of hope. Our hope is in his grace. Our hope is in his mercy. Our hope is in his provision. Our hope is in his protection. Our hope is in his promise, his plans, his purposes, his power. When we rely on Christ, when we're anchored in him, when Jesus is the focus of our, all of our pursuits, 
we realize we already have all that we need. So when there's abundance, when there's scarcity, we're content. Remember your relationship with Jesus. Fourth key to contentment is to be more concerned with the needs of others than your own. If we're going to be content, the contented life is not a selfish life. The contented life is focused on the needs of others. It's been said the acronym for joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, then you. A contented life, a life of joy is found in service to others. Look at this in Philippians 4. 14 through 17, it says, even so uh, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulties. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on to Macedonia. No other churches did this. He's like, hey, when I came to you, you, you supported me financially. No other church did. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. You gave financially more, more and more and more, uh, more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Look at this. So, so th this church was very generous towards the apostle Paul. The Philippians supported him in his mission ministry, his missionary efforts on more than one occasion. So on one hand, Paul is saying thanks. Thanks for your support. Thanks, thanks for giving financially to support the ministry. But on the other hand, Paul is saying, I, I, it's not about the gift, but rather I, wanna, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. You see that? Like the Philippian church is saying, Paul, you're in need. Uh, how can we help? How can we come alongside? How can we financially fund the ministry? They did it then multiple times over. Now they sent Epaphroditus to Paul again in Rome. And Paul's saying, geez, thanks. And they're concerned with Paul. But what's Paul's concern? His concern is the relationship with Christ. Are you growing in Christ? Are you anchored in him? Are, are you, are you, re, you gonna receive a, an eternal reward for the life you're living? I'm looking, I'm looking for a way for you to receive a reward for your kindness. His concern was the Philippian church. It's what we read in Philippians chapter two and verse four. Don't look out for your own interest, but take interest in others too. Paul's interest was the church of Philippi. The church of Philippi's interest was the apostle Paul. And as they, they do life together, they do ministry together, they're concerned they, they find contentment, not in, in selfish gain and what, what they'll get, but their concern was focused on others around them. It highlights for us this key that the contented life is having concern for others' needs. And I can, can I just ask how you do it in that area? When's the last time you saw a need in the life of someone else and you said, hey, I'm gonna step in and meet the need? Can, can I just ask, how are you doing in this area of generosity? Are you laying up for yourselves treasures here on earth and, and hoarding wealth? Or are you, you living generously with open hands saying, God, it's all yours, and therefore laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Now, let me just say this, because I realize as a pastor that can come across very self-serving. I want you to know, as Central Christian Church, we're, we're doing okay financially. This isn't a plea for your money. But the Bible is replete with this idea of generosity, with this idea of financial giving. And to a large degree, to the degree that you experience God's blessing in this area of your life will be the degree that you trust him with your generosity in this area of your life. And Paul's saying, I'm just looking for a reward. What, what can I credit to your account? One of the keys of contentment is having concern for the needs of others. The fifth 
key to con contented life is to rest confidently in God's provision. Philippians 4 verse 18 says, at the moment I have all I need and more. Paul's like, I'm, I'm good. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent to me with Epaphroditus. Like this is, this is, there's something about the apostle Paul that's very attractive. Like, like they, we don't know what the gift that Epaphroditus brought. We knew, we know he brought a financial gift to Paul to help meet his needs while he was in prison to support the ministry of Paul. Uh, but there's something about Paul that's so refreshing. I don't know if you've ever given a gift to someone, but the response just made you like, man, that's so awesome. Like they're so excited. Like maybe you bought them a cup of coffee and you think like no one's ever bought them a cup of coffee before because the way they responded was such excitement. That's the apostle Paul. He's like, like you, you're, that's awesome. You gave, like, I'm so thankful. He's super excited. And he says this, he says, they're a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. I want you to think about this. When you financially support ministry, when Paul receives this gift, he's like, hey, here's her. I want you to see how God views your gift. It's a sweet smelling sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Whenever sacrifices were brought in the Old Testament, we often think of sacrifices like just sin, sin offerings, but there were Thanksgiving offerings, there were fellowship offerings, there's incense offerings that they were just part of, of worship and gratitude to God for who he is. And they would engage all five senses and they would lay them on the altar and they would, as they're consumed, there'd be this aroma like barbecue that fills the air. And he says, hey, when you give financially, it's like that to God. That's how God views your gift. I don't know about you, but for me and my family, we, we found to be giving online to be the best and easiest way to give. And so, so we tithe and so that we give 10% of our income and more automated. And so we know when we're going to get paid. We know how much we're going to get paid. So we off the top, we give 10% plus and it just automatically is deducted from our, from our account. And, and honestly, if being very transparent, sometimes it just feels like another bill. Sometimes it just feels like it's auto draft. Like I get an email reminder saying, hey, it's, it's, it's there. So, so as we build out our annual budget, we, we know this is coming out. But what struck me this week is that that's not just another bill. It's, it's, as we support the ministry, as we support the mission of Christ to build his kingdom here on earth, God views that not as an automated payment. He views it as a sweet smelling sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. It just pivoted my thinking. When I get those emails now, I'm saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice for me. This is the least I could do for you. I can rest confidently, God, that you're gonna provide for all of my needs. Look at what it says next in Philippians 4.19. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What this tells us is that when you and I give, there's a supernatural exchange that takes place between you and the Lord. Uh, what do you mean by that? The God who accepts the sacrifice as a sweet smelling aroma in verse 18 is the same God that promises to meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in verse 19. You see that? The church gives, it's acceptable. As a response, God says, I'll meet all your needs 
according to my riches and glory in Christ. Listen, when you give to Central Christian Church, you're not giving to an organization, you're giving to God. When you support missionaries, you're not supporting an individual, you're giving to God. When you give to Give Hope initiatives, you're not just supporting ministry locally, you're not just supporting mission, ministry globally, you're giving to God. And God says this, it's a sweet smelling sacrifice and you take care of my business, I'm gonna step in and take care of your business. I'll, t- I'll meet all your needs. It does require trust. It does require faith, but it still holds true. I'm just telling you, I can tell you story after story throughout Tiffany and I's life, when we've been in a season of lack, when we have more month than money, and it would be very easy to dip into that area of our life. I'm just saying, I'm so thankful we didn't because God showed himself strong on our behalf time and time again. The God who meets your needs is the God who sees your needs. Listen, God sees your needs. He knows the areas where, where you need help. He's saying, hey, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. It's, a, it's this divine exchange. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. As you give to the needs of God and God's kingdom, he meets your needs. You might say, well, what does that have to do with contentment? Listen, when, when you're trusting God's gonna meet all your needs, you can rest in him. Otherwise, it's all up to you. We do our part, we trust God to do his part. Paul's saying, when you give financially, when you you trust him in this area of your life, God's gonna show up. In seasons of abundance, you can trust him. You can trust him to guard your heart to not be consumed with things. In seasons of scarcity and lack, you can trust him that he's gonna meet your every need. A life of contentment is found in trusting God is gonna provide. Uh, Philippians four, verse 20. He, he, Paul, he, he thinks about this reality. He sees the Philippian church being generous. He knows they're gonna be rewarded. He knows God's gonna meet all their needs. And he busts into praise. He says, to, to God the Father be glory forever and ever, amen. He's like, it defies logic. I don't fully understand it, but I know as you do it, he's gonna show up. Listen, church, that's true for you. I, I pray you remember that your life is intertwined with Christ. I pray you grow in this grace of contentment. I pray we be people at peace with what God has provided and we be people at peace with what God has not provided. I pray you'd experience seasons of abundance and that you trust God to guard your heart against being consumed with things. And I pray if you are in a season or you enter a season ever with scarcity, that you would still find your hope your joy, your contentment in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray you remember that God blesses his people. God is good and he does good. The final thing that Paul reminds us, sixth key to a contented life is to live on mission for Christ. Paul closes the letter with this. He says, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. Uh, Brothers, the brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. If you've been with us throughout the study, then you know that 
the Apostle Paul is in chains. He's in chains in Rome. He's chained with what uh, would have been, historians tell us, they call it a halusis. It's an 18-inch chain. He's, on one hand, the Apostle Paul. On the other hand, is a Roman guard, 24-7 in chains. He's in chains while he's praying. He's in chains while he's fasting. He's in chains while he's eating. He's in chains as he's dictating this letter to Epaphrodites. He's in chains as he picks up the quill and closes out this letter that we are studying today. They see Paul as he navigates injustice. They see Paul as he navigates the joys and the lows of life. He's they see Paul in the midst of no creature comforts that they're currently enjoying in chains, but yet living a contented life. And the results are predictable. People are being saved. Everyone greets you. The saints, this is followers of Jesus, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Caesar's house, these guards that are guarding Paul 24-7 were Praetorium guards. These are members, elite, elite soldiers in the Roman army uh, strictly to guard Caesar and Caesar's leadership and people around Caesar. These were um, uh, intelligence agents, if you will, secret service agents as we would see it today. And Paul, as he's waiting to go to trial before Caesar, he is guarded by the Praetorium guard, this elite class, these men who are in the presence of Caesar, these men who are in the presence of Caesar's officials. And no doubt the church in Rome is praying, God, let the, let the gospel get to Caesar's household. May the, the halls of government ring with the name of Jesus. And so what does God do? How does he answer that prayer? He chains praetorium guards to the apostle Paul. So one by one in, in four to six hour increments, they're hearing the gospel by the mouth of the apostle Paul himself. And they're being saved. Paul in the midst of injustice, could have whined, could have said, this is unfair. This isn't the way I, view, I viewed my life. This God, when I said yes to ministry, I didn't say yes to a prison cell. He could have complained about the corrupt political leaders around him. He could have, could have whined and had a, had a pity party, but Paul knew how to keep his head in the game. Paul knew that, that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So whether I'm in prison or behind a pulpit, I will share the gospel. I'm gonna live on mission. Give Paul a pulpit, he's on mission. Give him a cubicle, he's on mission. Give him a classroom, he's living on mission. Give him a hospital bed, he's living on mission. Give him a prison cell, he's living on mission. The secret to a contented life is a life laser focused on a mission beyond this life, a mission of helping people find and follow Jesus no matter what comes our way. May you live a contented life as you remember your mission field is everywhere your feet land. May you find contentment, not looking for greener pastures ahead of you, but investing in the mission field in front of you. May you experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May he close this letter. May, may, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the promise that a life of contentment is available to us. And so God, intellectually, we understand that today. Now, God, you put the ball in our court to align our life in such a way that contentment isn't just a concept, but God, contentment is a virtue we display and experience in our life. So God, I pray you'd strengthen your church by the power of your Holy Spirit to apply your word to our lives. 
This wouldn't just be something we take head knowledge for. But God, this would be an area of our life we align our life with. Because God, when we do that, that's the life you bless. That's where the abundant life's found. That's where we become more like you. And Jesus, our hope, our prayer, is just to be people who are more like you. We want to know you more and reflect you more on a daily basis. For the praise of your name, for the building of your church, for the empowerment of your people, would you do that today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.